Welcome to the Innovation Today podcast, where we speak with today's technology leaders about how they're innovating to stay ahead of changing industry dynamics and reaching new levels of productivity and automation. Brought to you by ServiceNow, your partner in digital transformation. Thank you for joining us today for another episode of the Innovation Today podcast. I'm your host, Spencer B. Miller, Innovation Officer here at ServiceNow. And today we're excited to welcome Vinny Viola, VP of Product and Innovation, as well as Derek Truesdale, CTO at Intech Technology. Vinny, Derek, welcome. Thank you, Spence. Nice to be here. Yeah, great to have you. Today we're going to hit in a, a few different topics and kind of get your own versions of your expertise around the, the general trend of rapid IT modernization and the story behind it. So that's kind of like a, a, a one way to view it. I mean, I, I think maybe in, in ServiceNow, our terminology might be more synergistic with service operations, but this is kind of like the, the almost like the, the futurization of what could happen with where service operations is going. Now, before we hit on maybe that, that those specifics around that topic, I'd, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your roles and maybe how you got into the industry and then what's most exciting about service ops to you right now? Sure. So my name is Vinny Viola. I'm VP of Product and Innovation at Intact. I spent 20 years as a federal civilian with the Department of the Air Force, and I left the department as their director of IT for an organization called the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. Prior to that, I spent about 10 years supporting a variety of different software development um, programs within the Air Force. So from my perspective, I have seen service operations from the customer side, and now it's incredible to get to sit on the other side of the table and sort of see all the capabilities and potentialities out there for different ways to solve longstanding problems in, in large enterprises, whether it's federal or commercial, right? Everyone is suffering from relatively the same problems in this space. And it's just nice to be able to begin to map those solutions out and help, help customers uh, see the different possibilities that are out there. Yeah. Thank you for that. It's amazing. Derek, how about yourself? Yeah. Hey, um, Derek Truzel. I'm the CTO here at Intact Technology. Um, I, uh, I've been involved in IT for over 25 years now. Uh, I'm a gray beard. Uh, I, uh, I've come up through uh, my own path uh, in service operations. I started way back in uh, basically doing uh, system administration, working my way through network security, up through ITIL when it first was getting popular in version version two. Um, so it's been really interesting for me to see um, kind of the simplification of some of those concepts and the expansion of those service management concepts um, from just IT to now other service providers within large organizations. Um, so um, I've been in supporting that and, you know, uh, Intech Technology is basically an enterprise service management company. That's what we help our customers do is, is organize their operations in tandem with providing services, both operational services as well as services that the business groups that provide services support as well. Yeah, would you would you mind dissecting that a little bit? I mean, I, I think we we have conversations around enterprise service management with a lot of our, our customers out there, but I, I think sometimes it can get a little bit clouded as to what it, what it really means. So, what's 
from an evolution standpoint of ITSM into ESM or enterprise service management, what, how do you view it? Well, it's interesting. I think it's the kind of thing where if, again, have an ITIL background, when you look at the spirit and the intention behind what the uh, British government did in establishing the original ITIL standards, it was to kind of provide structure, organization, and a framework for people to consume what was at the time a very confusing set of uh, technologies and results, right? You know, most, most people didn't understand it and many people don't understand it today. That's matured to the point where IT has had a lot of success in making their services both consumable and simple, right? It's, it's, it's one thing to say, hey, I need to um, go make 10 or 11 different requests because I'm a new employee. It's another thing to go, hey, I, I make a request in one place and all of the complexity <laughs> and different things that might be friction happen unbeknownst to me behind the scenes, right? So as a consumer, my experience is elevated. Now take that, take that success and what you have is other groups in an organization now, you know, large corporations, federal organizations, they too want to align to that simple consumption model where, hey, we're going to provide an easily understood and consumed service or result, an outcome for a customer, for a employee, for a partner. And, and we want to kind of basically build on what IT's done. So now we've gone from IT service management to the concept of enterprise service management, where you're a service there are groups that provide service in every large organization that are responsible for, you know, probably 50 to 80% of the ability of that organization to deliver. Those groups are now viewing themselves as service providers and organizing the work that they do into a service management contract. Does that make sense? That's huge. No, that's, that's very well said. I, I think that's actually kind of what's natively or naturally happened with the organic growth of ServiceNow too. I mean, we we started in this ITSM space as as you guys probably remember, and then naturally, you know, HR kind of saw the benefits that IT was gaining out of some of the efficiencies around the structure of an ITIL protocol that had a good way to lay out to rec how to request service of IT, and naturally that just kind of started to bleed over into these other business units within our customers organization saying, well, I'd, I'd like, I'd like that functionality or, it, you know, I see, I see what you guys are doing here on the portal and, oh, it's so, it's really easy to cl click away service level agreements and SLAs. Like just kind of give me that in my own version of it with my own terminology. And then that expands into how these different departments or the connected enterprises we like to view it, ask of service of each other. So how HR can ask of service of IT and how maybe finance can ask service of uh, you know, customer service, another department. It's just kind of creating this mesh across the organization of how we all ask service and understand how to get that service basically fulfilled, regardless of where it comes from. Spence, it's e it's even interesting that you know, it, again, going back to the dot com days, um, I remember people would go into work to take advantage of technology because the technology in the enterprise bandwidth and servers and that kind of stuff was better than their experience at home, right? And that has shifted to the point now where most people's experience in their day-to-day -day life is exceeding the experience they have when they go 
go to go to work, right? Or for these large organizations have when they're providing services even to their customers, right? Um, so so that that switch is flipped, so to speak. And what we see is that all of these service providers feel behind and that they need to simplify the ability to give services or offerings to people that they can easily consume. And so what we find is what's driving this everywhere is customer experience. And obviously IT has, because they've been providing and in from an operational perspective, responsible for ensuring the availability of services, as well as the customer experience being at an acceptable level, they've really taken the lead. So now you see these other groups, like you mentioned, human resources, procurement, legal facilities, um, even some of the strategy and planning groups within large organizations, they're, they're looking to organize themselves and provide the, that same level of customer experience and customer service because it, it, it reflects on the value they provide in the organization, which, which previously has been assumed but hidden. And, you know, to Derek's point there in terms of the experience at home versus the experience at work, right? We, we work with large enterprises. And one of the challenges we see that comes somewhat directly out of what he just said, right, is CIOs feel frustrated that they are seeing this advancement in whether it's a federal CIO or a commercial CIO, they're seeing the advancements in commercial technology and they want to be able to grab that capability and integrate that capability quickly into their organization so that there isn't this huge delta between the experience that you have at home and the experience you have at work. But some of the blockers to that, or at least one of the blockers from a practical perspective, is that there are legacy systems from an application perspective or database perspective that are out there that sometimes do make it slower than we would like to execute these mi migrations or modernizations into new platforms. And one of the things we're seeing is that the trend is is sort of heading in the direction that CIOs or OCIO shops are becoming more and more willing, or even a stronger word to use, that they're, they're desiring or demanding that they now leverage out-of-box capabilities of some of these tools. That the, the instinct is not to just go straight away to working on requirements and relying on something that's custom built. And I think that what fuels that is the fact that these software providers have become really good at integrating a customer feedback loop into their product. And so they're delivering really best practice capabilities out of box, whereas in the past, every individual organization sort of had to like define their own best practices, build that in custom and, and sort of work in their own little silo, which put them in the situation that they're in today which is it's very difficult now to get out of that. And so I think it's the combination of the product is delivering incredible capability out of box and the lessons they've learned from that, you know, experiencing customization that put them a little uh, way down where they would rather be a little more agile definitely has now positioned them to where they are very willing and open to these conversations about, you know what, if I am going to integrate service management in a new way, how is it done in the industry? How is the out-of-box capability of these platforms presented? And let me figure out how to integrate that as a better roadmap forward, more sustainable roadmap forward. 
Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point of, of almost a movement that we saw in technology of these transitions to platform as a service and this movement that we're seeing into low-code, no-code applications of, hey, I just want to, I, I, I trust that you're doing the 80 to 90% of getting the functionality that I need out of cloud, out of box, whatever term you want to use. And all I need to do is tailor a few things to get this specific or like configure a few things to get this specific form met and to, to adjust the way that this workflow is going to operate. But those those configurations shouldn't be limitations to the uh, the velocity at which they can develop on. And that's that's that core platform function that allows us that allows them to get them, you know, 80 to 90 percent of the way there there where they already have that that foundational layer to to provide that to their to their companies. Now you hit on some of the challenges there. I'd I'd, I'd love to know. Uh, a, so if I think about a, a customer environment, they have all this technical debt that's that's accumulated, and that's I think, Derek, to your point of of earlier, like there's there's a lot of complexity that goes around with the uh, the enterprise environment and the large corporations that you work with. So how do we start to think about where we can take some of that? consumer, customer, employee experience that we're so used to in our personal lives, but deal with all this technical debt that we've had in the past and find this transition moment where we we can realize that, oh, maybe we don't need all this stuff that we've accumulated, or maybe we can get some of that functionality on these new new platforms going forward. How do you how do you help customers think about solving those challenges? It's an interesting question, Spence. I think I think um, in line with what Vinny said, our observation is that most customers we work with or most customers that reach out to us, um, they're feeling pain and the pain is in the form of opportunity cost, right? So as Vinny was saying, and Vince, I think, as you know, ServiceNow is a good example. These big, large platform providers, service providers, cloud providers, they have the most valuable commodity, which is access to what's happening across thousands of customers. And they're able to see both real today problems and emerging problems. So what we see is customer, customers will call us and say, I need this capability that's coming out. All right. Um, I'll give you a good example. There uh, on, on the ServiceNow platform, there was a customer that they had a need for a very specific type of analytics that ServiceNow provides out of the box, right? So it would be, like you said, is it 90% there? It's a matter of some configuration and they have value. It solves a problem. It solved a big audit problem for them, which was, you know, the bane of their existence. However, decisions that had been made previously put the platform in a position that it couldn't take advantage of that capability when it came out because, because they had basically customized for, you know, for lack of a forethought, right? They had made some decisions that challenged that. So um, what we've done is we have a model where we go in and kind of, uh, we have a process called exception-based design, right? So we, we kind of go 180 degrees from the blank whiteboard Right? where typically you go in and sit with a customer and say, um, hey, what what do you want? Right, And they say, well, I want this, this, and that. And we write it out on the whiteboard, and then we take that and go, these are the requirements, and we're just going to use these requirements, and whatever it takes. You know, Typically, that involves a lot of you know, 
custom tailoring, customization, right? We go the other way. We say, hey, listen, um, this this service provider, this vendor has has given a lot of thought. They have a huge R&D budget. They've given a lot of thought to this capabilities and how it meets current problems people have, as well as where the industry's going. So why don't we spend some time and and get you familiar with the capabilities that exist and maybe even have a conversation with the vendor about why they made some of those decisions. And before we do any design, we literally start there. Then we come back and say, okay, now here's this thing you're trying to do. What about the out-of-box capability won't work for you? And we engage in a really interesting conversation that in many instances isn't just the IT folks, but it's the actual, because again, we're, we're dealing in many instances with business units that have no, I, you know, they don't do IT, right? And, but, but many of these decisions are around their own processes and how they work and what people are used to. But when you start to frame up some of these trade-offs or some of these capabilities they can have, and they realize like, hey, we've always had five approvals, but you know what? We could live with four and we don't have to customize it for that extra one. Well, that's a small trade-off for the benefit. So we kind of show the benefit in the decision support process, and we end up getting customers to the point where they don't feel like, hey, I'm a snowflake or I'm special and I need to, to you know, they're, they're more open to um, compromising for the understanding of the benefit they'll get out. So um, that's a model we use and have a lot of success with. In some instances, though, Spence, I have to be honest, if somebody's existing environment is too, too uh, customized, right? We have then some some methods we use to kind of free up capabilities, and and get people moving towards uh, a platform that is more standardized and prepared to take advantage of future capabilities. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be a, a little bit of walking a fine line, I would imagine, right? If they've if, if they've accumulated a fair amount of customization, and then you're you're coming in and saying, "Hey, we need to we need to adjust some things here and there to get us to a state that we can take these these best of practice updates in an easy fashion." I'm wondering if, if you're ever met with any on this. I love the idea of exception exception based design, but it, are you ever met with any points of contention when you go into to talk to customers about this because they're, you know, everybody likes to think that their process is, is unique and, and special to them. So if you come in and say, hold on, wait a minute. Yes, it's special, but also look at, look at the, the industry and where it's going and what these large vendors are, are subscribing to being the, the, the best of breed or the best of practice to maybe evolve what your, what your previous view of the process is. Have you ever met with points of contention? And if so, how do you how do you deal with it? So yeah, Spence, we have. I mean, there are customers that initially are are hesitant and they're skeptical, rightly so. I would have been skeptical as a customer because I was fairly convinced that my processes were the sole way to do something, you know? But I think that so one example of how we overcame that, I think you really have to prove the value that comes from doing it this way. And you got to do that quickly with a customer. So we had a large federal agency that was having a problem with onboarding. Onboarding is something we see across uh, customers as something they like to go after because the experience for customers, for employees, uh, is very important to them. So at this particular one, you know, keeping them 
inside to, to a, a minimum amount of customization and leveraging out-of-box functionality, one of the benefits we were able to, put, to show very quickly is essentially connecting siloed business units in, an, in a holistic onboarding process. So instead of going in there and saying, how do you do it today, which looked a lot like how they've done it for you know, a decade, we, we teased that apart and said, look, if we can leverage some of the stuff that comes right out of the box, we can very quickly show you that onboarding, yes, it is HR, and we can task all this, all this workflow out over HR, but we can also send some tasks out to IT. We can connect then out to legal. We can ensure that your employee on day one can reserve a room or a conference table or a cubicle. And when you start to stack up all that functionality across the different business silos, I think that that is not something that most customers have ever seen done before. And it is difficult to do in a custom way. It just takes longer. So to do that at the speed that we're able to do it, I really think that's the way to sort of prove out because that's where you get a customer going, oh, whoa, you know, whoa, I didn't know we could do that. And that sort of delight you get there definitely brings them over to our side to say, what else can you do using out-of-box functionality for some of these things or, you know, sophisticated configurations versus leaning back on custom uh, coding something. Yeah, then, I mean, to extrapolate upon that to both of your earlier points, talk about the an amazing employee experience coming on board in a, a streamlined fashion like that versus we've all probably worked for companies in the, in the past where, you know, we, we don't feel productive for the first 30 days because we're waiting on our laptop or we don't have access to the application that we need. But boom, if you streamlined it, which it sounds like you guys have for a majority or a lot of your customers and connected these different disparate processes into a seamless let's just use the term workflow, workflow that initiates all the grouping of tasks that needs to get that employee onboarded. Well then, man, I, I, that makes me want to stay at a company and, and want to work for them that much more because they've put that much effort into in helping us be more efficient. And Spence, another interesting aspect of this is that, you know, one, you're right, we get pushback, but a lot of times the pushback at the executive level, as we talked about before, whether it's a C-level executive or a director, they, they have a vision of what they want, and they understand that there's some friction getting there. That's what they're asking us to do, right? So we go in with this approach. You know, you do need support at the executive level where it really becomes a, a great conversation is when we get in the room with the people responsible for fulfilling these requests, right? The people who are the service providers that, you know, this process, this workflow, right? They're the ones in the steps. Um, and a lot of times their frame of reference is really based on just what they've known, right? And we talk a lot about this, our, our CEO talks about this a lot. Like people, we like to say people are afraid of change. They're not afraid of change. They're afraid of not being able to be relevant or that the information they have is not gonna be great. So we spend a lot of time helping people feel comfortable with the fact that, hey, even though this is a somewhat bit of a change, it actually is, doesn't take anything away from you as the the fulfiller and it actually is going to help you you know be more effective look better to your customers um have have better customer satisfaction scores so it it, it really is in that discussion where we kind of win hearts and minds um but it is that discussion right because a lot of times people's frame of reference like i said before it is you know hey we have to do it this way because we've always done it this way right and when you play the five whys game, like, well, why do you do it that way? Why? Well, why? Well, why? You get back to the point where there was a system 20 years ago or a decision or some limitation that doesn't even exist anymore. But, but 
but it's been it's still a constraint or a guardrail on what they can do. So by having this discussion, by by educating people, and you know, it's kind of like IT therapy a little bit, right? We're talking about processes and kind of stuff, but we get to the root causes, and people are more willing then to to kind of let go of how they used to do it because they understand and have some understanding of how it will be done. And in many instances, they become the subject matter experts in their own organizations about these changes and the benefits. They become our biggest advocates. That's huge. And then you have champions in the accounts that can can help preach preach your gospel, if you will. <laughs> I like the IT therapy. I, I love the reframing of uh, people are not necessarily afraid of change. They're just afraid of not being relevant anymore. And just a simple process on showing them how they can still be relevant. In fact, maybe even more relevant when they have automation opportunities and software working in their favor versus maybe historical debt against them. Then now you're talking on some some really, really big value points. We, we hit a little bit on, on metrics and how you guys consult this, uh, kind of prove out the, the, the technology while, when you're going into engagements, like, you know, lightly on ROI and I, the, the term I keep hearing from leaders right now is they they have to do more with less because they're either, you know, there's layoffs happening or they're they're on a hiring freeze. How do you help leaders and companies out there provide the tangible metrics to show where when it makes sense to spend money with technology? Yeah. Um, there's a couple different ways, a couple of the use cases, but, um, you know, we have a package of uh, of metrics and KPIs that we bring to the table, um, that we do, that we actually measure, right? When we come in, we say, Hey, how, how are you doing against these things? And we know based on our experience that where we can improve, things, right? So we go in and basically say, Hey, here are your opportunities for improvement. Uh, I'll give you an example. We had one customer who, um, they were on a, a, a legacy ITSM system. Right, so this is not um, ESM, but it's ITSM. And the problem they had is that that system, it wasn't one of the modern platforms. It was a, you know, one of the legacy systems. It, it, to upgrade it took over a, a year, right? I mean, it was that gnarly, right? And so we basically made the case that, hey, if you, if you leverage a new platform, it's a, it's a pretty big investment. If you migrate using the methodology we're talking about, and you get rid of or minimize that technical debt. If you leave that technical debt behind, start over. Obviously, there's there's an investment there, but we're able to prove out, and then it's actually subsequently shown that you know they have basically a year-long project that if you incorporate external support from consultants and their internal people, it was a seven-figure project just to do an upgrade, and they were doing one every single year. Right. Post post the migration to the new platform, and again, we didn't do it big bang either. We did it uh, capability at a time. Right. They were able to do those upgrades now in a couple of weeks, um, and so they had significant savings just from a um, an operations perspective. Then we layered it on top. Hey, you now have capability you didn't have before, and we started to look where they could leverage it. And that ITSM platform soon became an HR platform as well, because when they brought their HR partners in, to Vinny's point, all we look at is like, where are there areas in the organization where from an, from an employee, from a customer perspective, 
it goes across support organizations. And over 50% of things people ask for have multiple service providers. So by integrating IT and now saying, hey, we have this HR capability where they were on multiple systems that didn't talk to each other. It involved significant data integrations and quality issues um, from a customer perspective. They never knew exactly where they were in their life cycle, right? Just in the savings from the technical debt and upgrades, we now had new capabilities, which just basically ballooned the ROI or, you know, the cost is important, but also the value, right? Like the perception of these groups because they work together became so much more valuable in the eyes of the employees of that specific, that specific company. So um, ROI is important, but we find that usually one ROI story is the catalyst, but then when you're there with the platform, when you're now engaging these other enterprise service management partners, the, the value just exponentially that's helpful. That's huge. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for breaking that down for us. I think that's, that's pivotal to, to kind of get that understanding around uh, why the technical debt out there may not necessarily be the delimiter to invest in future technologies. Um, you know, Vinny, I, I know you're in product innovation. I'm in innovation here at, at ServiceNow. And it's like, I, I love to think about, I love to talk to customers about where we think technology and trends are going. Do you have any ideas or thoughts on where service ops is going in the future or, or what, what are you excited to, to uh, continually hear about the trends out there? So I think there's a lot of different angles and pathways that it's going, right? But I'll have to give you something that I'm interested in that I, I care deeply about coming from uh, my background in the federal sector. I think one thing that jumps out is there, you know, there was this shift from paper-based workflows to electronic workflows, paperless workflows. You hear that term used, it's still used. There's statutory language out there that we're supposed to reduce paper. And so it was sort of the boom of online forms or electronic forms. And, and that made huge differences in how uh, workflows are routed around the these huge enterprise agencies. And it has resulted in reduced uh, duration and and overall just you're able to accomplish more at scale. But I think going forward, as you see the service management platforms that are out there, I think the next iteration is sort of even away from a, a traditional electronic document sort of framework into something that is more workflow oriented, right? So instead of you filling out a form to get something done, even if that form is electronic, and in the future, you can just select that service you require, and then all of the background routing that has to happen that today with even forms is done manually, really just happens naturally based on the configuration. And it allows you to deliver services at a scale that you simply cannot do using electronic documents. So that step from paper to e-records or paperless was a big step. But the next step into secure workflows, I think, is is what is going to sort of change the employee experience and the customer experience that's interacting with these systems really dramatically. Yeah, I, I have a different take. I appreciate Vinny's. I'm thinking about it a little differently, though. And obviously, the thing that's in everyone's mind right now um, that we're giving thought to, too, is, is generative AI, right? Um, 
it's really interesting. Again, I, I referenced my age. I um, I remember living through the dot com stuff, and it always struck me that some of the main tools we use today. I think Google didn't even come out until seven or eight years after the the dot com stuff came along, right? So I think with some of this generative AI stuff, there's so much interest, but I think it's still so early stage that we don't know who the key players are going to be. But I will say that I do think that it is a going to be a key part of every IT organization, every organization's strategy. And the advice we have is that um, is to basically one, be patient, and two, much like we talked about the benefits of these platforms, I have no doubt that every major platform, ServiceNow included, is going to have generative AI capabilities that they're going to provide. So we recommend that our customers take an approach of curation and collaboration instead of going out and trying to build or buy their own generative AI repository or solution, right? We recommend that they stay close with their vendors and then have the, the responsibility to curate the best solution for their specific business needs. But the capabilities will be there um, and the, the focus they have should be on finding the right fit for their needs versus trying to, right now, I think a bunch of people think I'm like, hey, I could build one of these myself or my own or, or that kind of thing. And, you know, that's an investment that, uh, you know, the odds are that it's not going to have a long life cycle for ROI with how fast the industry's moving. So um, my thing is, yeah, embrace generative AI, but focus on being patient and curating and collaborating the best combination of tools for your, your specific needs, which you're an expert. Yeah, I think there's an important underlying tone in that in this this term of governance, right? And, and these platforms that the customers out there have aligned their strategic relationships with provide a level of governance to mask things or make rogue IT and situations of the like a lot more difficult because it's easy to just use the existing functionality that's there. And so if you have a, a strategic relationship or multiple strategic relationships with large companies that already are exploring generative AI and how they can offer it to you in the platform that you already have existing role-based access control on, well, now that takes out a lot of the, the, the scariness of where I think large companies are worried about their data getting out and letting the, the companies do their due diligence where they're figuring out when it makes sense to address a large language model that's specific to your business or when it makes sense to make an API call out to a large language model that already exists out there. So I think that I think that's a that's a huge point there, Derek. And and Vinny, I actually I love your your point too. I think we'll get to a fun page or a, a fun point where we will be able to just speak into existence what our workflow or what our service uh, or what our outcome is expected of. And then hopefully something like generative AI will go out and figure out the different departments and the different pieces and the different systems that it needs to talk to without us having to configure the workflow or do any development. Yeah. The way that this thing is growing, I don't think we're too far off. Well, this was, uh, this was extremely fruitful. I, I, I really appreciate both of your insights and the, the wealth amounts of, of knowledge that, that both of you imparted today. Any, any final thoughts? Spence, I did have one thing, which is, and maybe it's, maybe, maybe we'll come back and do this later, but I think one of the things we didn't touch on that's really probably has its own podcast 
is that migration from um, IT service management to enterprise service management. You mentioned a word just now of governance, right? The the participation, the governance, the stakeholder groups in an enterprise service management model where many of your stakeholders don't understand nor care about IT, but need to be an active participant in the decision support, the strategy, and even adjudicating issues that maybe multiple different business units might conflict on. Um, it, it, it's, it's an interesting thing that we, we, we're spending time on right now with customers and getting a lot of good feedback on. So maybe at some point in the future, as, as we move on, we'll come back and, and have a, a session to talk about the challenges of governance and some of the things that have worked there. I'd love to. Yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. Well, Derek, Vinny, thank you so much again. And thank you to all the listeners out there. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe and share and join us, of course, for the next episode of Innovation Today podcast. Thanks very much.